Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So I know if you've been around here for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about my um, like negative church experiences and church trauma. And I know some of you are like, we get it, man. <laughs> like, I don't need any more. But, um, but clearly, I was a, like a church kid growing up. And I know some of you were too, like, went to church three times a week, which is Sunday morning. Sunday night was normally some version of like kids' choir or maybe like children's handbells. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I did all the things. We, uh, we learned like um, some weird, like not real ASL, just like church sign language to songs. Did you guys do that? It would be like four of the signs were real, and then the other ones, it was just a volunteer being like, this seems right. <laughs> no? Nobody else did that? Yes, you did. I know you did. I know you guys. I know you did. Um, but I, I heard all the phrases and all the cliches, and I knew all the church songs, and I did all the things. And um, in the work that I've done since, you know, learning fake sign language around how to process all of those experiences, because I had some positive ones, but I also had a lot of negative ones. So some of the work I've done to process all of those church experiences, um, it, one of the ways I've come to define a lot of that time in my life and a lot of those experiences is with this phrase, cognitive dissonance. So there, there was just a lot of things repeated to me over and over again that forced me to live in that place where it was like, yes, but also what? Like we got told over and over again, like the Bible is the perfect inerrant word of God. Anyone ever hear this? And then normally the next phrase would be something like, but you're going to notice some errors. <laughs> but those are human errors. It was like, so inerrant with some errors, like got it. Okay, I can, li- okay, I can live with this. And then it would be like, hey, at our church, all are welcome. But you have to look like us and vote like us, and behave like us, and believe like us. It's like, well, I don't know if all are really, okay, okay, we'll live with it, right? You just kind of live with this cognitive dissonance. And this was the ultimate one for me all the time, and all the songs we sang, and every, you know, kind of every message we heard was, God loves you. But it's on the condition that you agree intellectually with a certain set of principles and ideas, or you're going to burn in hell forever. But God loves you. That's love. And it was so, looking back, now I know that that was confusing for me. Because we were always talking about the grace of God and the love of God and the goodness of God, but also I felt really scared in church. And um, I don't think you're supposed to feel that afraid when you're in the presence of love. And after, you know, after some you know, painful church experiences and tough trauma personally, I just started and kind of made a pact with myself. I don't know if you've ever done that before, where you promise yourself something. And I just kind of decided that I was unwilling to live with any of that dissonance anymore. Like I just wasn't willing to check my values at the door of the church. So I wasn't willing to go into church and be like, I know I believe these things in the rest of my life, but I'll just kind of check them at the door when I go to church. I wasn't willing to check my story at the door, the things I had been through. I wasn't, I just, I wanted my beliefs and my values and my life to be integrated, that it all fit, that it made sense. I didn't have to um, pretend like some of it wasn't really true. 
I wanted my spirituality to be the kind of thing that was actually honest and authentic to me. And it took a lot of pain and a lot of talking about it, a lot of looking at these ideas, because I just started asking, like, what's real? Is the, does the Bible have errors or not? Is it true or not? Let's just stop saying yes, but. Let's just get the answer. What is it? Does God love us or not? And um, this is clearly important stuff, and I know it's important to you. And right now we're in um, our year with Jesus, and we're looking at the parables of Jesus, these stories that are really like poems and songs with characters. It's not a a dictionary definition of anything. Jesus gives us these kind of complex and beautiful stories to show us about the kingdom of God and about God. And today we're going to read the parable of the great banquet. And um, it's a story about God's love and about what we do with it. And maybe we don't have to live with that kind of dissonance anymore. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 14. It says, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So I like this story. It's a good story. Um, This is about a man, presumably wealthy and powerful. He's throwing a huge party, like probably days-long party, and his only priority is to fill his house. I think that's a good story. He doesn't say, will you go out and will will you quiz people on their beliefs? Will you make sure they're of the same political affiliation as me? And then if they are, they can come to my dinner party. He just says, fill the house. That's his main priority. He's upset when it's not full. He says, everyone's invited. Fill the house. It's a good story. I want to start by just calling out a couple things this isn't about. Okay, so this story isn't about church attendance. So, um, you know, there's some folks in the story that don't come to the great banquet. uh, And it says they have, they're, they're giving excuses. And they're saying, literally, excuse me. So some guy, like me, he bought five new oxen. He's like, got to try out my oxen. I don't even know what that means, but I'm like, totally, got to try out your oxen. That's normal. He says, excuse me, okay, somebody just got married. Excuse me, I can't go. I don't think this is about church attendance, okay? So maybe you've heard something like this, like, if you get invited and you don't come, you're never going to get invited again. Like, don't make these measly excuses anymore. Just to be clear, if you need to try out your yoke of oxen on a Sunday morning, do your business. That's on you. That's fine. This isn't about church attendance, okay? And then... um, This is not about God accepting and including sinners. Now, do I think that God includes everyone regardless of how much they have um, kind of rebelled against or lived a life against the way of love in the world? Yeah, sure. But in this story in particular, this isn't about about God including sinners. And most importantly, it's because um, being poor isn't a sin. We sometimes read these stories and we're like, wow, God is so good to sinners. This is, poor people got invited. Being poor isn't a sin. 
It's not a moral failure to not have money. And I know sometimes we say that out loud and we're like, yes, agreed. But then we read the story and we're like, wow, God's so good to sinners. Being poor isn't a sin. It's not a moral failure ever. And uh, being blind or crippled or lame, that's who gets invited, the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame. Our our righteousness is not connected to how able-bodied we are. So this isn't a story about God including sinners, though that may be true. This is just not in the story. Um, This parable is about a grand banquet, a full house, and a wide invitation about the love of God. The love of God is unconditional, universal, and free. That's it. God's love is unconditional. There are no requirements. There's, there, there's, nothing you, there's no pre-requirements to get in. The invitation is for everyone, and God's love is universal. Right? Literally, everyone is just included. Just fill the house. God is trying to give God away to everyone. That's the whole story of the Bible. God keeps saying, just let's be united together. You don't have to build any systems to get to me. Let's just be together. God is giving away God. Just come to the banquet. Right? Divine love wants a full house. God's love is unconditional, it's universal, and it's free. The love of God costs us nothing. We just accept it. Just before this parable, this parable starts with saying Jesus replies. Just before this parable, um, Jesus says this in Luke 14. He says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus tells this story about what it looks like to give out love that can't be repaid. The message is that the love of God is free, like totally, actually free, no repayment required. And I know that sounds, again, some of this church language, this religious language is like, yes, I've heard this. God's love is free. That's good, right? That's a, this is a good message. But I think this is actually the gap for a lot of us, especially as I sit with you, Right, we're, we're in on God's love being unconditional. I think a lot of it. We like that. Or there, there's nothing, um, there's no pre-requirements. I can come as I am. And I know from talking to a lot of you that you are in, you are all in on God's love being universal. That it is for everyone. Everyone should be included in this love. And I've, I know that there are a lot of folks who, you know, grow, maybe growing up in your church ex- experience were automatically excluded from the love of God because of their sexuality or even their gender or because of their beliefs or because of their past. And so I know that you are in on God's love being universal. But I think we maybe have some room to grow on the free nature of God's love. That no matter what anyone has told you, there is no part of your life you owe back to God. Because that would make it not free. There's no repayment necessary. And I think for a lot of us, we've just lived our religious life with kind of a, a this permeating indebtedness. Like, like we owe God something. And maybe it's because you've heard phrases like, um, Christ died for you, will you live for him? You ever heard something like that? And that just comes, though well-meaning, it just comes with this little bit of guilt that says, you owe something back to God. Don't you know that? Don't, don't you know you owe something back to God? And we've just lived with this sort of indebtedness that we walk around thinking, um, I can't believe I received this gift even though I'm so bad. I better start acting the way God wants me. I'm going to do things for God. And all of that is you telling God, your love wasn't really free. I must owe you something in return. That's the story we have to kind of pull ourselves away from because you owe God nothing. 
In fact, you can't repay him. It's not worth trying. The love of God is free for all. That's the story here. You can't repay God. It's not worth trying. It's just free. It just is. There's no indebtedness. You don't owe God back anything. Uh, I, I have um, clearly, you know, I played church handbells. I've done a lot of cringy church stuff in my life. And um, anybody do, uh, this isn't in my notes, but anybody do church skits growing up? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, never a writer strike for youth group skits. Like, that would have been, we really needed one. Like, we needed them to stop. Like, Lifeway, call it off, man. Like, don't write these anymore. But um, we kept doing skits. But um, one summer at the end of high school, I spent summer interning uh, with Southern Baptist missionaries in Tokyo, Japan. And we did, like, missionary stuff, you know? And um, one of the main tasks while we were there is we did something called uh, free five-minute English practice. And there's actually, uh, Josh Cameron is in the room. He just happened to, like we learned later in our life, we were in Tokyo at the same time with the same Southern Baptist missionary. So, you know, what's up? Um, so our main task, we did something called free five-minute English practice. So we went out to literally the busiest intersections in the on the entire planet, and we held big signs up. There are teams of two high schoolers, like 17 and 18 year olds, like in our like hookah shells and cargo shorts. Okay, that's what I want you to imagine, like old navy t-shirt, hookah shell, like maybe some do-it-yourself highlights in the hair. Like there's just a lot going on. Just imagine, right? And so we have big signs and we yell, three five-minute English practice. And like lots of people came, like people would line up to do it, which was an interesting thing. But they did it because a lot of folks in Japan, they studied English like growing up in school, but they'd never uh, practiced with a native English speaker. And so it was just fun for them. And so we were 17 or eight, 18, and we did this five-minute English practice. And um, we had a little script we were supposed to follow, as you, as you do. And so we would, um, it would go like this. So we would ask them a question in English. They would reply in English, and then they would ask it back to us in English. Right? We were just trying to have a little conversation. It was our five-minute English practice. So the script, um, like we would always ask, what is your favorite book? And like 80% of the time, they would answer Harry Potter. I was like, that's banned at my church, but we can keep going. <laughs> and, <laughs> but they, they would answer Harry Potter. I'm sorry, I'm off note right now. Can you guys tell? But they would answer Harry Potter. And then, because we had told them, we had set this up. We ask you a question in English, you answer in English, and then you ask it back to us. And so then they would say, what is your favorite book? <laughs> we didn't say Harry Potter. Anybody want to guess what we said? The Bible. Mmm. Yeah. So that's how we, um, <laughs> that little script, that's, a, that's called a trick. That little <laughs> trick we did, uh, that's how we shifted the conversation to talk about Jesus and the cross and sin and hell and a scripted prayer that they could say right then to fix it all that came with some subsequent attendance requirements and behavior modifications. And um, looking back, and processing some of that later, at some point I realized that um, though we yelled it really loud and though we had big signs that said it in English and in Japanese, 
um, those conversations were not free. Like, it definitely cost something from those sweet Japanese folks that just wanted to talk about, like, Harry Potter and Tom Cruise. It cost them something. We told them it was free, but it cost them something. And for a long time, I heard people say with their words that God's love was free, but it didn't feel free. Because if change is expected or even required, it's not free. If you leave with shame filling your body, it is not free. If you have to give up your own self-worth in, in order to receive some sort of grace, it wasn't free. If you have to trade your true identity, who you know at your core you are, if you have to trade it in, it's not free. And I just refuse to live with this kind of cognitive dissonance any longer. The kingdom of God is like you have been invited to a feast at a table with no need or expectation to repay anything or anyone. God's love is unconditional, yes. It's universal, amen. But it is free. You have no indebtedness to anyone, not to a church or to a pastor or to God. It requires nothing in return. Here's another way to say it. If when you accept it, you owe anyone anything, it was not divine love. The love of God is free for all. And so for you, what have you felt like in your life? What have you felt like you had to pay back to God? Maybe when you think about being invited to a feast, to a grand party, that you imagine that the invitation reads, uh, you're invited even though you don't deserve it. So maybe you've paid with your self-worth, that for you, your, your religious experience has been you just paying with uh, your self-worth. Every time you show up, you just go, man, I don't think I'm good enough for you. Or um, maybe you've traded parts of your identity as a way to be included. Maybe you've given up your sexuality, or maybe there's a dream that you feel like you were meant to pursue. A lot of folks have this idea, like, I think God's called me to do this thing, and they know I would not be good at that thing, and I don't want to do that thing. <laughs> but a youth pastor told me that God told me to do it. So maybe you've traded in a dream or a pursuit because it didn't feel godly enough. But what do you feel like you've had to pay back to God? And I won't even get into your finances right now. And what would it look like for you to accept God's free gift of love? Right, to not feel like you owe God anything. For me, what's really helpful is to try to pinpoint when it's not actually divine love I've experienced. That even if it happens at a church or with someone holding a microphone, it may not be divine love. And so it's been helpful for me to kind of pinpoint, to go, oh yeah, that experience, that wasn't, that wasn't God. It felt a certain way, but that wasn't God. Someone said it was, but that wasn't God. And I've had a lot of ideas presented to me as love, but they just weren't. And most of them uh, followed this form, fear, grace, and then guilt. So there's grace in the middle, but you always start with fear. Now, you should be afraid of where you will end up for eternity. But there's a good gift. And now that you received it, you should be reminded that you never, reserved, you never deserved it at all. You need to live a certain way. There's fear, grace, and then guilt. And just to be clear, that's not love. 
It's just not. So maybe accepting real divine love just means being able to push away from the places that aren't that. You just go like, that wasn't it. Right? Divine love follows this form, safety, love, unconditional love, and then union with God and with others. That's it. And so if you feel, um, if you feel afraid instead of safe, it's not God. It's not love. And just as a note, that's true of all your relationships. At work, at home, if you say, this is a place where I am not myself, that's not a love, safe, loving environment. If you feel afraid instead of safe, it's definitely not God, and it's probably not love. And so accepting divine love for you may just start by noticing those places and say, you know, oh, that wasn't divine love. It, it, it was fear and manipulation, and it was just like wrapped up in God wrapping paper. Right? God's love is unconditional. It is free, and it requires nothing in return ever. No indebtedness. The love of God is free for all. Uh, there's a, an ancient Buddhist saying that I really like. We're all over the place today, I know. <laughs> but there's an ancient Buddhist saying I really like. It says, um, the enlightened spiritual teacher knows that all they're really doing is selling water by the river. And um, I hope you hear some good news today, some encouragement today, experience a little bit of love today. But just to be perfectly clear, you don't need me to experience love and light and goodness in your life. You can walk right past me. I'm selling water by the river. You can walk right past me and jump in yourself. You do not need me to experience goodness. You do not need me to experience God. You are capable to receive God's love and acceptance right now. Now, I want to tell you about it, and I want to make sure you hear it from me, that you are included and that you are loved and that you don't owe anyone anything to accept that love, but you don't need me. And it is available to you right now. It is an ever-present reality, and it is the pulsing force in your world. There is love and light and goodness around you, and it is in you, and I'm, I'm just like packaging water by the river. And guys like me all, all, all across the world right now, Sunday morning, that's all we're doing. And so I will do my best not to package this too much or monetize all this goodness and love and light in the world. Instead of packaging and monetizing, I just want to, I want to build like a cheering section <laughs> and a diving board. That you can just, you, I'll keep showing up here and we'll keep talking about this stuff together. But you don't need me. Right now, you can be fully engulfed, surrounded, and lifted up by the love of God. This love, divine love, is for you. It is free and it is available right now. And so gather, this is my prayer for us today. Right now, in this place, experience divine love. It is for you. There is a seat at the table with no exceptions and no strings attached. Accept your free and unconditional acceptance. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.